What's going on, y'all, and welcome back to the No Limit Lab. I'm your host, Eloy, and today I am going to be going over Better Call Saul, Season 6, Episodes 3 through 7. Now, I first want to apologize, guys. I know the No Limit Lab has been gone for a couple of weeks, but I was out of work for a while. I was sick. I was dealing with some non-COVID-related stuff. Uh, I took a couple of COVID tests, and I uh, tested negative both times, so that's fine. I'm all good, but uh, I do apologize that um, I'm getting these reviews out for this uh, part of the season, or for Better Call Saul Season 6, Episodes 3 through 7, out pretty late. Um, episode 7 premiered a couple of days ago, and um, I just haven't been able to, like, my voice was gone, I, I had a, you know, a stuffed nose, I was all congested and stuff, and I didn't want to give you guys a half-assed performance on here of me doing my best to recap and review the episode, so instead of doing each episode one by one, which, which was what I was going to do, I'm just going to go ahead and do Episodes 3 through 7, uh, all in one episode. So I'm going to do my best to not drone on. I'm going to do my best to get these, um, review each episode the best that I can. I'm going to be using some notes from, uh, other websites, other recaps, because like I said, I didn't really get to take enough notes, uh, just because I, I, I was trying to just watch these and just get through them. Um, I enjoyed it. I've been enjoying them and we got a lot of stuff to, to unpack here with this, uh, review and recap of these episodes but i'm going to tell you guys right now i'm going to be using notes from other websites uh just so i can do my best to give you guys the best uh recap of what happened in these last episodes that we've gotten um so better call saul so here's the thing i said in the last episode that we were only getting six episodes we actually didn't we got seven so we got seven or six weeks technically because they gave two episodes in the same week for the first week so six weeks of content seven episodes total um, the first episode is going to be titled, or the third episode is going to be titled Rock in a Hard Place, and that's what we're going to be going over, uh, right now first, and then we're going to move on to four, five, six, and then seven. So, right now, the season is, uh, on hold. Uh, we're getting the rest of the season on July 11th, episode eight, and then the rest of the episodes. I think six more episodes after that, so eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. So, yeah, we have a total of 13 episodes this season. We're getting six more on July 11th. And we just had our mid-season finale that um, was, we'll talk about it. It, was, it wasn't it was bad. It was awesome. I loved it. It was great. Um, I'm just trying to find the words to express how I feel about uh, the mid-season finale. I was in shock, is what all I can say. And episode three, Rockin' a Hard Place, which we're going to talk about right now, I was also in shock. They've done really good with the show. So, before we... Um, get into this um i just want to say great job to vince gilligan and peter gold and i also want to take the time to say rest in peace to ray liotta uh ray liotta did pass away today on um thursday may 26th i heard the news a couple of hours ago and i'm really upset about that and kind of disappointed well not disappointed but you know you know what i mean i'm upset it's very sad i love ray liotta ray liotta is one of my favorite actors or was one of my favorite actors rest in peace so to his family his friends my condolences so uh lighter news we got kenobi coming tonight so i'm gonna be doing reviews on that i can't wait we got a lot of content we're gonna be going through but after i release this better call saul season six episodes three through uh seven we're gonna be having a lot more content that we're gonna be going over i still gotta do snowfall I got to do South Park. I finished the season for South Park. It was only six episodes. I thought it would be more. So it's going to be pretty easy to review. Um, 
we got Kenobi. Uh, I want to do Ozark that eventually. Moon Knight, I haven't watched any of it yet. I want to do that eventually. Um, but we're going to have a lot more content coming. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this recap. And the website we're going to be using for this recap of Better Call Saul Season 6, Episode 3, titled Rock in a Hard Place. The episode is a very good one. The website is called Decider.com. So, shout out to Decider.com for doing this recap. Um, thank you. Jade Badowski. Jade Badowski did the recap. I'm going to be using his notes. I just want to give credit. I'm not going to be a fucking shithead where I'm like, oh, I can't put the notes by myself. No, I was sick. I was not doing very well. And I did. I just want to be able to give you guys a good recap. So enough droning on. Let's get into this. All right. So we start off with, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw my little, once I start reading the notes and my memory starts coming back to me, I'm going to start kind of just doing it my own way. But this is kind of here. So for me to jog my memory. Uh, okay. All right. So we start off with Nacho, Michael Mando. He's running. He's escaping from the, he's running from the cartel. He's running from the Salamancas. He just got into a shootout with the Salamancas. A whole big ordeal. It was an awesome fucking scene. Um, he's running and he's running out of time. He's, uh, you know, this episode, right at the beginning, you can tell this is going to be a nacho episode. This is like, okay, this is going to be a nacho episode. It's going to follow him a majority of the time. So he finds an abandoned oil tank. And he goes inside of it and he submerges inside of the oil to avoid being discovered by the cousins while they're chasing him. Somebody goes in and they look inside the uh, oil tank to look for him. He is submerged in this oil. I don't know how he did it. He fucking inhaled all these toxins, all this crap from the oil. Uh, just, oh, you, you just look at it and you're like, God damn, he, this guy is doing anything he can to survive right now. He does not care. If it doesn't kill him, he's still alive. And he's like, fuck it. I'm going to try to get out of this. It works. Um, the Moncada, oh, not the Moncada brothers. That's what they're called in real life. But the twins, the Salamanca twins, they look. They can't find him, and he bas it basically works out in Nacho's favor. Uh, he continues to run, and then he starts to make a call. He makes a devastating goodbye call to his father, and it's emotional because he's like, "Oh man, you know, you know that he's he's getting out of here. He's got to go." It's 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 one of those scenes where it's kind of heart wrenching, you know. Um, he starts, um, he starts trying to go, he's on the phone with Gus and he's trying to negotiate with Gus, basically ensuring his father's survival, basically and Mike and everyone, he's trying to basically make sure that his dad, no matter what is not going to be harmed. He doesn't want a fucking hair on his head to be touched. He just says, Hey, if you're going to do this, whatever with me, then that's fine. But my dad don't touch him. And he knows that this whole thing is not going to end well for him, no matter who he turns to, no matter what he does. Uh, the only thing he cares about right now is his dad. And the only person on his side in this whole situation really just is Mike. And Mike, you can tell Mike feels for him. It's crazy seeing this because you, you flash, flash forward to Breaking Bad and Mike's relationship with Jesse as the show comes to an end. You know, you can tell that Mike is looks at Jesse as like a son of a, kind of a son figure to him, and Jesse looks at him as kind of a father figure that he didn't have, and, you know, you can tell that Mike is that type of guy who's like, ever since Maddie died, his son, um, he is a father looking for a son in a subtle way, I guess you can say, that's how I kind of put it together, but you can tell um, Mike knows Nacho is a good, is, you know, in over his head, he's known he's in over his head, and you can tell Nacho is trying to do it. Nacho is um, in over his head, but Mike is trying to do his best to 
watch over Nacho without, you know, making it seem like I'm trying to, oh, you know, I love your son. It's not his son, but, you know, he's doing his best. He's a, you know, it's really great. I, I love the dynamic between them. Um, while Nacho's in the desert, fucking waiting to get fucking capped, um, Jimmy and Kim are plotting their next move against Howard. Um, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to do a stunt involving duplicating his car keys. So they enlist the help of Huel, Huel Babino, reasonably, that guy. He's, uh, go watch some of his, uh, Lavelle Crawford, go watch some of his stand-up. It's fucking funny as shit. Amazing stand-up. I love him. Um, and he, and good for him losing a lot of weight, but it's kind of like, like, uh, I guess canologically, if that's the word, uh, he's going to gain a shit ton of weight in the next couple of years, but you know, it's, it's just a funny little thing. Um, so they enlist the help of Huel to pull off a few stealthy tricks to get the ball rolling. Um, and their little schemes and their stuff, whatever they're going to do, it gets set into motion. Jimmy focuses all of his energy on, uh, towards Howard and Kim is a little distressed to learn that, um, uh, from Suzanne that, uh, they discovered Jorge de Guzman is actually Lalo. So the people that basically were and Jimmy, like, how could you work for a cartel guy? And Jorge de Guzman isn't who he says he is. She basically finds like, yo, they know it's Lalo. And she's like, fuck, I got to tell Jimmy. Um, and they're starting to understand that Jimmy's Jimmy representing him is going to be a lot more difficult than they kind of anticipated to begin with. You know, it's not just a simple, oh, yeah, you're done with the cartel once you help them. No, it's going to be a reoccurring thing. You're going to need to help these guys out a lot more if you want to survive. And two, if you want to make money and make a living. Well, more than a living, I would say. Um, so they assume that Lalo's dead. We all know Lalo isn't. Lalo's still alive. They don't know that. Uh, I believe this is one of the things. Is it situational irony? Where you know something that the character doesn't know. You, the audience, know something the character doesn't know. Am I butchering that? But there's something in in literature or writing that's that's what it's called, where you know something that the the uh, character doesn't know. Um, and um, so they have, they you know, they kind of come to peace. They think that Lalo's dead, and they're kind of like just going about their anything. Like you know, Lalo's dead. They're moving on with that. They just want to scam Howard and fuck up his career. And um, it brings them, you know, it brings them kind of happiness a little bit. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, they're doing their thing. They're in love and they care about each other and they're fuck, trying to fuck over Howard. Hey, you know, what's what's just another day? I'm just fucking over Howard. Um, but there's an elephant in the room. Jimmy has to decide if he's going to be a rat or a friend of the cartels, what Kim tells him. Basically saying, you know, are you going to you going to tell him that, yo, are you going to tell him that like Lalo is the guy that, you know, represented are you going to fucking save your ass by telling the detectives and telling the police, like, yo, this is who he really is? Or are you going to continue being a friend of the cartel? Are you going to continue working with them when they call you? Because when they call you, they want you. And they're not going to just let you go like that. It's not how it works. And it's a very strong line. I love the line. Are you going to be, are you, you want to be a rat or a friend of the cartel? And what's happening with them, it's, it's, it feels like child's play. It feels like, it feels like, I don't know. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it feels like, how do I put it? It feels like they're playing checkers as opposed, as opposed to Nacho playing chess with the whole, Gust uh, the whole Gustavo and, um, uh, cart in the, in the Salamanca situation. Nacho's in a fucking rock in a hard place with this situation with him on the verge of possibly, you know, getting capped, fucking dying, losing his father. 
And then Jimmy and Kim are on the other side of the coin, you know, yeah, they're not in a life or death situation, really. But legally and career-wise, they could be ruined if they find out some shit. Like, if they actually can prove that Jimmy knows that Lalo is the guy that he's representing. You know, it's, it's you know, it's kind of funny. Then again, it's also not. Um, Nacho, uh, in, uh, he ends up back in the hands of uh, Gustavo and Mike. Uh, so they plan out. Uh, what Nacho's going to do. Nacho's going to confess to the Salamancas to clear Gustavo of any suspicion because right now the Salamancas are trying to prove, well, Lalo and Hector are trying to get proof to Don Eladio that Gustavo is basically pulling the strings and he's trying to fuck everything up and he has his own motives that aren't Don Eladio's. So, um, they try to get him to confess to the Salamancas to uh, clear Gustavo's suspicion uh, in the, any incidents and all the incidents and, or the incident of Lalo being quote-unquote killed um and nacho's fate is said he's gonna die and you know but if he sticks to the script of what they want him to say to the salamancas his father's gonna be protected mike uh wants to be there for nacho's final minutes and give him an honorable end um but so then they, it's it's sad it's very sad because you're like fuck man like what okay he's gonna die there's gotta be uh I uh, gotta be another plan here. Is Mike gonna? Mike can't kill the Salamancas. He can't shoot. He can't kill anybody because they have to be in Breaking Bad. So you're like, how are Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold gonna do this? What's gonna happen? How is Nacho gonna escape? What's gonna happen? How is his fate gonna end? So they go to the meeting. Uh, they go to the meeting in the desert, and I believe this is the same set piece that I think it was in earlier seasons of Better Call Saul, where Hector was out in the desert and Mike was trying to kill him. It was gonna snipe him and kill him. And then Gus or somebody of Gus, one of Gus's henchmen put a note on um, Mike's car and honked and kept the horn honking where it said, don't, don't shoot him. So I'm not sure if it's a callback to that. Um, the meeting commences. The cousins and Bolsa bring Hector, who's still, who's in his wheelchair. Ding, 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 that guy. Um, Hector, who's there to exact his own revenge. And there's nothing really Mike can do. Mike can't do shit. Mike shouldn't really be able to show up. He's not, shouldn't be there. They can't see, they don't need to see him there because he's like, what are you, what is he doing here? It's, it's, it'll complicate things because Mike has worked with Hector. Mike has not willingly, but Mike has done business with Hector and all these other guys. It'll fucking put a whole, it'll fuck the whole situation up if Mike is there basically. Um, so Hector starts ringing his bell and he's pointing at Gustavo and he just refuses to believe any story that they've uh, that they've just brought up or try to like use as a cover. Then Nacho, Michael Mando, gives the monologue of a lifetime. He relishes his final moments and he just fucking milks this for what it is. He breaks free of his restraints as Juan Bosa basically tells him, "You can either die an honorable man or you can die a fucking piece of shit." Basically. And, like, tell us what's going on. Is the chicken man involved? Is Gustavo involved? And Nacho just looks fucked up. He looks bleeding, bloody, beaten. He's just fucked from his time in Mexico. And he basically tells him, like, all right, like, you can die honorable or die fucking piece of shit. And he's just, Nacho just fucking breaks free of his restraints, Superman style. And he holds both sides at gunpoint before turning the weapon on himself. And... Right before this happens, he gives himself, when I said he gives himself the monologue of a lifetime, he basically just puts all, 
all of everything, what he has to feel, what he's feeling, into words that are just, you feel them when you're watching it. You feel the anger. And I'm going to go ahead and repeat what he said, and I'm going to do my best to do it the way Nacho did. And Michael Mando, I'm going to do my best right here to do your monologue. I have it pulled up right here on transcripts, I believe, .org, TV show transcripts, outboard.org. So I'm going to do my best. I'm going to start off with Bolsa. Bolsa, today you are going to die. But there are good deaths and there are bad deaths. Tell me what I need to know. I'll see that your death is a good one. Who put you up to this? One last chance. Who? Nacho. It was Alvarez. Los Odios, out of Peru. They paid me to set up your nephew. And I did. Alvarez, we know. Los Odios, we know. Was anyone else involved? Him? You think the chicken, man? What a joke. Alvarez has been paying me for years. Years. But you know what? I would have done it for free. Because I hate every last one of you psycho sex of shit. I opened Lalo's gate and I would do it again. And I'm glad what they did to him. He's a soulless pig. And I wish I killed him with my own hands. And you know what else, Hector? I put you in that chair. Oh yeah, your heart meds? I switched them for sugar pills. You were dead and buried and I had to watch this asshole bring you back. So when you're sitting in your shitty nursing home and you're sucking down on your jello night after night for the rest of your life, you think of me, you twisted fuck. El suyo, gun cocks. Nacho grabs the gun, takes Bolsa next to him. And he fucking shoots himself in the face. Or shoots himself in the head. Nacho grabs Bolsa. Breaks his restraints. Has the gun to Bolsa. Mike is in the far off. Watching with the sniper. Does he need to make any moves? And Gus is sweating like a stuck fucking pig. Is he going to snitch on me? Is he going to tell on me? But he's got to keep that game face. Got to keep the poker face. And Nacho gives that monologue. Takes Bolsa. Has the gun to Bolsa. Realizes there's no way out. Shoots himself in the head. Goes out on his own terms. What a fucking finish. What a fucking finish, man. I hope I did good on that monologue. I hope I could make you guys at least relive or feel what I felt in that monologue. Of, of that ending for Nacho. God, I was so upset, man. I was so upset seeing Nacho die. I'm not mad at how they did it. I love what they did. It was different. There was no way out for Nacho. He had to go out. He went on. He went out on his own terms. He said what he had to say. Said what he felt. Said fuck the Salamancas and fuck y'all. I'm killing myself and I'm out. I did what the chicken man said. They don't know that. He kills himself. And Nacho is gone. Michael Mando, Peter Gold, Vince Gilligan. Thank you. Thank you for treating this character with respect, giving him a good ending, and. It was an amazing episode, an amazing ride with Nacho Varga. So Michael Mando, I'm excited to see what other future projects he could be in. Maybe Vince Gilligan does a different type of TV show that's not involved with Breaking Bad and he brings back Michael Mando. I would be happy to see it. He's a great actor. That monologue is one of my favorite monologues in TV history of the well, of the shows I've watched. So it was great. It was really great. It was a, a great episode. Um... Man, it, it, I'm not get. I, I don't know how to say it. It's 
it's sad to see a character go, but when the character kind of goes out on their own terms, you're kind of happy for them. It may it's a violent way he died. He killed himself, shot himself in the head. He was being threatened by both sides of the cartel, but he went out on his own terms. So that episode, I'm going to give that episode a 10 out of 10. I loved it. I could watch it again. I've watched that monologue so many times uh, after the fact. Um, I like how I had to go on the transcript to fucking repeat it, but I wanted to do it the best I could. Anyway, moving on. Better Call Saul, season six, episode four, titled Hit and Run. So right when this episode opens up, we're focused on Howard and he's sitting in his car and He's uh, listening to some jazz music, you know, Howard. I don't know what the, I don't know what it is about Howard. Howard is just one of those guys where you're just like, you know, this doesn't seem like a bad guy. Pretentious maybe, but bad guy? No, not really. And he's listening to music in his car and he's on his way somewhere. And we find out he's on his way to go to therapy, it seems like. Howard is the type of guy that goes to therapy. He's looking to get some advice on whatever's going on in his life at this moment. He's talking about his wife, talks about a lot of stuff, and... We soon realized that Jimmy and Kim, obviously, aren't done with their plot against Howard. Now, as Howard is up getting therapy from his therapist, you see what I did there? Nothing. <laughs> uh, he's getting therapy, therapy from his therapist. Jimmy is wearing his best Howard Hamlin outfit. And it's like, what the? You're watching, and you're like, what the fuck is going on here? I, thought, I was like, well, who the hell is this? And it's Jimmy. It's Jimmy dressed as Howard. He's got this fucking obnoxious an obnoxious spray tan on he has a wig the blonde wig um shiny white teeth nice ass suit and you're just like oh my god what the hell is he doing here he's got keys with him and they're the keys that he duplicated when they uh, got howard's keys that he'll got and you're like okay what's going on here what are they gonna do is he gonna steal his car and crash it what's he what's he gonna do jimmy is in his best getup and he enlists the help of a sex worker who you guys may remember, a prostitute from Breaking Bad. Her name is Wendy. 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 And it was a great seeing Wendy back. You know, not for my eyes, because she's fucking ugly and just disgusting. But, you know, the character and the actor, it's great to see him back. And um, Kim is enjoying coffee with Clifford Maine. And they're sitting on uh, um, outside, street side, in this little uh, coffee shop place. And Jimmy's basically like, come on, come on, come on. He tells Wendy, hurry up, let's go. And he goes to pick up Wendy. He steals Howard's car and he puts uh, a cone in the place. That way no one can take the spot. And he drives off. Basically what he tries to do is um, he tries to speed by throwing Wendy out of the car violently and screeches off as Cliff watches in the background. And Cliff is just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, he's been hearing stuff about the last season with Howie, the fucking two hookers that Jimmy paid to make Howard look bad. Um, and as Cliff is in shock, he sees the hooker get thrown out of, um, or Wendy get thrown out of uh, Howard's car with Jimmy driving, and Jimmy's dressed up with the wig, he's got the whole suit on. So when he can see through the windows, he's like, that's Howard. Like, what the hell is Howard doing? And he speeds off without a fucking moment's notice and gets the fuck out of there while Wendy yells, motherfucker, the guy's paying me and yelling a bunch of stupid shit. And she's just all like, what? Howard, what? He's all dumbfounded at what the hell is going on. Um, The plan, the whole plan is in full effect. And Kim. Uh, she might get some benefits out of it because they're, as they're talking, she's talking with Cliff. Um, she's talking about, I believe it was Davis and Maine. 
something about Davis in Maine, I believe. And um, I'm trying to remember what it was, but um, as she's talking and the whole thing goes down, Cliff is just in shock. Like, what the fuck is going on? And um, as they're whole, as they're all happy about what they did, messing up Howard's fucking life, um, Kim starts thinking that she's being followed. She's suspecting it, and uh, Jimmy's all telling her, like, nah, don't worry about it, we're good. So, Kim is, like, a little paranoid. Well, Kim continues to meet with clients, other clients and everything. Um, she goes to this little Mexican restaurant. Jimmy suddenly finds himself getting the cold shoulder at the courthouse. Everyone's giving him dirty looks. They don't want to work with him. They don't want to talk with him. Security's making him do a bunch of extra stuff. Uh, he's basically a minority in any type of area with his police. So, um, he's ba- he's getting fucking just fucked with. Nobody wants to talk with him. Nobody wants to sit with him at lunch. The DA, Bill, informs him that, hey, look, everyone knows you scammed the court in working with Lalo Salamanca. Um, and it pretty much confirms his whole reputation is going to be forever changed. They're going to be like, okay, this is, this is, you know what, whatever he's doing, he's just a grimy lawyer. You don't want to talk to him. And, and it kind of was like, okay, they're moving the ball forward with him. Kind of like, okay, well, if I'm going to be treated like a fucking heathen, I'm going to act like a motherfucking heathen and I'm going to be Saul Goodman. I'm not going to live up to, you know, this whole nice guy shtick that everybody wants to portray. I'm just going to be fucking me and keep conning people. And, um, as that happens, you know, he, uh, it's just like, kind of like, what the fuck? Why is everybody being so fucking mean to me? And well, on the bright side, word is getting out about Lalo. It also causes his business to boom. All these criminals are all like, whoa, you helped Lalo Salamanca get off motherfucker. Let me take, let me get, take part in some of your lawyer business. Um, so he's no longer allowed to rent his uh, office, the nail salon, because they're like, there's too many people here. You can't. You can't do this. No, not enough people. Bad impression. Um, not enough people. And he's like, come on, come on. You know, uh, oh, it'll only take a little bit of while. And he's got all these fucking shady ass characters in his office at the nail salon. And he tells them to all wait outside. And it's just like, it's causing a bunch of problems. And he basically gets kicked out. And they're like, nope. Um, uh, this end leads him to dump. Uh, it leads him to this dump. That eventually, well, they call it a dump. It eventually becomes the office that we know and love. And it's the office where he has in Breaking Bad, where him and Francesca run. And it's it's awesome. It's great to see. We've all gotten these little teases with the episode with fine-ass Mrs. Kettleman with that giant big two Balloomba. I mean, um, b- balloon of the Statue of Liberty. Yes, that thing. <laughs> uh, so we got teases there. He's gonna eventually, probably eventually buy that, and then we got the office now. So it doesn't look anything like it doesn't Breaking Bad yet. It's in the same area. Um, Lalo is not seen in this episode, but he's a constant presence throughout the episode. Gustavo has full blown surveillance operations happening in his neighborhood. And he's packing a gun on his ankle, wearing a bulletproof vest. He's got guys everywhere. Earlier in the episode, we had this two weird this couple like just riding their, through the neighborhood on their bikes and stuff. And I guess apparently they work with Mike and, and Gustavo. Uh, he's got guys everywhere. He's sure that Lalo is going to reappear anytime. Kim is also correct that she is being followed though. When she finds out and confronts the people in the car that are following her, they kind of just ignore her and drive away. She tells him she's a lawyer shortly after that, as she's in that little restaurant, either a restaurant or a bar with her clients uh, she walks past. Uh, she walks past, and we see Mike sitting at the bar, uh, 
And he basically tells her, like, look, I'll answer any I'll answer any questions I can about the guys who've been following her wherever else than my guys. The news that Lala was still alive. Uh well, he tells Lala, he tells Kim that Lalo's still alive. And it's kinda like, what the fuck? Holy shit, Lalo's alive, and it just hits her like a fucking fucking ton of bricks. She places um she places Mike as the guy. She kind of just Puts two and two together that Michael's the guy who was in the desert with Jimmy. Desert with Jimmy, and uh, she remembers him from the courthouse, the parking booth, the little um, thing where uh, the toll toll thing where he uh, I need your stickers. That guy. She remembers him because she's drove in there all the time. Um, it's just crazy. It's actually kind of crazy. It's crazy seeing them finally together because we never see them. It's like one of those things. Like in Breaking Bad, Jesse and Walt Junior. Walter Junior. never met, and in this whole time, we've never seen Kim and Jonathan Bank or Kim Kim and um, Ray Seahorn and Jonathan Banks, Kim and Mike share the same screen together, so it's actually kind of cool seeing it. Um, uh, but there's an understanding between the two of them, a mutual understanding. She asks Mike why he's telling her all this and why she's not telling Jimmy, and he's like, well, it seems like you're the one who's made us do stuff. Basically, they're like, you know, I bet you can handle this a lot more than Jimmy would if I told him. So it's a great little scene. It's just awesome, and it's great seeing them meet for the first time. But their actions impact each other. Whether they may be in the same scene, their actions impact each other a lot. There's so much not said, and it's just, it's good. It's crazy. Good episode. Great episode. Another great episode. Um, I want to give this one, a, I'll probably give this one a, a good song. I'd say 7 out of 10. It's not bad. It's not filler. It's just, you know, we all want to see action. We want to see constant action. A lot of suspense. Uh, I would say, wondering what's Lalo going to do, what's going to happen. So, this episode, hit and run, 7 out of 10. It's a, a good come down episode from Nacho dying in the previous episode. And um, it was good, and 7 out of 10. So, uh, great performance from Jonathan Banks and Ray Seahorn. Great performances by um, uh, um, uh, Bob Odenkirk. Sorry. Um, and Patrick Fabian and, and everybody fucking, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, everybody great job just by all of them. They carry these episodes. They carry it. I mean, that's, you know, not really saying much cause they're the fucking stars of the show, but you guys know what I mean. It's a great show. Great so far. And, uh, seven out of 10. It's not, like I said, that seven out of 10 is not bad. That's not bad at all. That is good. It's just, it's a come down episode. It's not filler, but it also is filler. It's, it's, um, moves the plot forward. It moves the plot forward. It, it, it reveals stuff to other characters that they may not know that they know now, which is great. So, moving on. Moving on to episode, or Better Call Saul, season six, episode five, titled Black and Blue. So, Kim can't sleep. Ever since she learned that Lalo's alive and Mike told her, she's having a hard time fucking sleeping. It's not going well for her. It's just like, it's got her on edge. It's got her. And I mean, how, why wouldn't it? You find out this guy who threatened you, who's a member of the fucking cartel, he's still alive. That would keep anybody awake at night. So, she's been on edge. She's uh, moving She's she's moving through the world like a shell of her former self. She lights up a cigarette in the middle of the night and puts a chair on their front door when Jimmy, Bob Odenkirk, joins her, makes her a cup of tea. Uh, he says he's grateful Lalo's dead. 
She puts on a smile, smile, even though it's shaking, smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clowns in the sky, you'll get by. That's enough of that fucking song. I hope I did good there. Jimmy Durant, shout out to you, RIP. Anyway, she puts on a smile. She's unable to tell him the truth. She just, she... And look, this is fucked up because it's like, you should tell Jimmy that you know that Lalo's alive, but it's kind of like, how the fuck is Jimmy going to react? Jimmy's all cool and she, maybe she just wants to keep the peace and maybe part of Jimmy is rubbed off. But the lying that, Jim, like, lying that Jimmy has done with her before or lying that Jimmy has done in general is just rubbed off on her or maybe, like I said before in a couple episodes back, that this is just a part of Kim that's always been there that we just haven't seen. So... um. She smiles, uh, and despite living in fear, the two press on, they keep on going, keep on keeping, in the words of Joe Dirt, they keep on keeping on, right on. Um, they go back into business as usual, Saul Goodman's practice is booming, business is a booming, and he enlists the help of Francesca, Tina Parker, the actress's name, and we've seen Francesca, uh, Francesca earlier in this, uh, series, she was in, I believe, season three and four, I want to say, maybe season two. Uh, she helped them run their other little lawyer law firm. Um, and he brings her in as his new, uh, to his new quote unquote office, that shitty dump that eventually becomes the office and breaking bad, uh, to help deal with a long line of all these clients that he has. And he basically needs a secretary. Kim, meanwhile, meets with her old paralegal Viola and finds out what's been going on at the Schweikert and Coakley as of late. Uh, um, one of her, uh, she's up to one of her schemes, another one of her schemes, slipping Kimmy, and uh, she learns the name of a certain retired judge that just makes her really happy, and this judge plays into other parts later in the episode, in, this, in the season, so we'll get to that later, um, they're doing their best to get through the days, they're doing their best to keep on keeping on, Jimmy and Kim aren't the only ones that are plagued with nightmares of Lalo either, so... Gustavo, Gus, Giancarlo Esposito, he can't sleep either or function at all. Like I said, since the season has started, Gus has been on edge as well. That poker face is still showing, but he's still sweating. You, you'll see that if you look carefully, you'll see that drop of sweat on the side of his head. Every time Lalo is brought into question, Lalo is mentioned, Gus isn't, I wouldn't say he, he's scared. I wouldn't say of dying, but he's scared of his plan that he's had for years to get revenge on Hector. And the cartel, that it'll all go to shit if Lalo comes back and fucks everything up. So, he can't sleep. Uh, he goes to his little team that he's got uh, set up at home or at his house. Because Okay, so we find out, I believe it was in the last episode, that he had a house that he lives in, the same one in Breaking Bad. It has an underground tunnel that he built fucking batman style bat cave that leaves to the other house next to him so he bought the other house next to him and has people staying there for surveillance which kind of brings up the question were they there in breaking bad i don't know he did he, that's the thing you can't how do you hide a fucking how do you hide a fucking cave and just sell the house to the next neighbor even though it connects to your house i don't know it's you know not a plot hole but it's just kind of a question i, I want answered um He's uh, Gustavo spends his time he's just cleaning his bathtub with a toothbrush, micromanaging his employees, just being a dick. The whole is everything to your satisfaction is in full effect. Gustavo's just being a fucking micromanaging little petty nuisance because he's fucking stressed the fuck out. 
What he did the lie on the last season where he made him clean the fryer all these times. It was clean the whole time just because he was waiting to see what happened with Lalo. It's fucking just hilarious. It's it's funny. It's funny, but it's also it's great TV. But it's funny to see just because you never see Gus do this, and it shows Giancarlo's range as an actor to be able to have such a poker face, but also convey the emotion of fuck. I'm stressed the fuck out. Um, and um, he has a weapon. He always makes sure he has a weapon all time. He has a fucking piece on him. I believe it's in his fucking near his shoe or something like that. He keeps it down there by his sock. Um. Gustavo, he's wondering what kind of revenge Lalo's going to have in store for him, what Lalo's going to do. Um, someone else, though, in Albuquerque, is plotting some revenge of their own. Howard Hamlin, Patrick Fabian. After Cliff Maine confronts Howard about what he saw on the street the other day, talking about the whole incident when he saw the hook get pushed out of Howard's car, which it was Howard's car, and I forgot to mention, when Jimmy goes to return the car back in that episode, when he goes to put the car back, he realizes that the cone has been moved, and he's pissed off that the cone's been moved, and he barely escapes uh putting Howard's car in the next in the parking space next to it. Just want to put that in there. That was funny. Um anyway, back to this episode. Um Howard then realizes that all these shenanigans, he knows where they're coming from. He knows where all this shit coming his way is coming from. They try to say he's a fucking drug addict or he's you know doing coke. They try to say he's fucking getting hookers. He's doing all this type of shit to ruin his fucking career. Um and in an attempt to get everything out in the open with Jimmy, he tricks Jimmy into meeting him to, at a boxing ring. And this part was hilarious. This was great. He basically, like, Jimmy, we boxed a couple of rounds. The way he talks is just so fucking funny. So he gets Jimmy to meet him at this fucking boxing ring. And um, Jimmy goes in there. And he's just like, I'm not doing this. Whatever. Uh, Howard, whatever you're accusing me of, you're wrong. Whatever, man. And he walks out. And this reminded me of Back to the Future with the whore. Are you chicken? You didn't tell him that, but like, Chicken McFly? Nobody calls me Chicken Needles. Nobody! Or, Nobody calls me Chicken Biff. Whatever the fuck he says. I love, that's my favorite. I love those movies. That's my favorite trilogy of all time. Um, and probably my favorite movie of all time. Um, but, um, he tricks him into boxing him and the fucking power pieces him the fuck up. Okay, well, he doesn't, okay, he pieces him up, but not for a lack of trying. He tries to get him, and Jimmy and them get Jimmy gets a couple of shots. Howard eventually fucks him up, and Howard gets his little ha, ah, his little set of revenge there. He's not fully done yet. Um, they both get a few good hits, like I said, but in the end, Jimmy's flat on his back and he's fucking looking up at the lights, and it's just it's hilarious. And then Howard then makes it clear that he's done with his kindness, being mistaken for weakness. He's I'm done with this kindness, Jimmy. My kindness is not going to be mistaken for weakness. The way he talks is funny. On his way out. He then hires a PI to watch Jimmy. And this is only the beginning of Howard's vengeance. No more. Namaste, Howard. None of this fucking peaceful Howard. Peaceful Howard is gone. Pissed off Howard is ready. He's back. Well, he's not back. He's here. He's, he's here. He's queer. Get used to it. Line from Family Guy. Um, he's not gay. At least I don't think so. No, he's got a wife, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, he's got a wife. Talk about in the fucking... Yeah, I talk about the therapist. Um, but, okay, so anybody who remembers, I believe it was the second epi- second or third episode. No, it was. It, was the, it hasn't been the second episode. Second episode. Fuck. For, it was the first or second episode when they went to go fuck with the Kettlemans. When, it was the second episode, I believe. When uh, Kim and Jimmy drive off, a car is following them. And I believe that car is the PI, the private investigator that Howard hired. So I believe that's him. 
even after the episodes have aired, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's I'm pretty sure that's him. But we'll find out later. So while Lalo shadow while Lalo's shadow looms over many of the characters in the episode, um, he's up to one. He's up to his own antics on the other side of the world. Lalo is in Germany. He's, he's with the Germans. The Germans. Everybody knows the Germans. The Duschendorf or Duschendorf, whatever the fuck. I'm probably just pissed off all my German listeners, if there are any. I'm sorry. I, I love your guys' language. It just sounds so funny to me. Um, he charms up the late Werner Ziegler, widow, at a bar. He So he's at this bar in Germany, all right? And this lady's there, and I'm wondering, who the fuck is this? Did she work for, um, uh, what the fuck is her name? Uh, Madrigal? No, she doesn't. Not that I believe so. And uh, it's Werner Ziegler's wife, who's at a bar, who's a widow now. Um, he attempts to draw information out of her um, uh, about a pro- her about a, about the project that uh, Werner Ziegler was working on uh, in New Mexico, and uh, all the team that he had employed, the people that work with him. And uh, there, he's this is what I love about Tony Dalton, man, and Lalo's character. He's such so charming. Uh, he's so uh, charismatic, and he just like. You're like, God, bro, this guy's getting her hook, line, and sinker. He's trying to fucking... He's not trying to fuck her. He's not trying to do any of this stuff. He's not trying to get with her. He's just being charming just to get information out of her. And it's sad to see, but it's also just immensely talented acting on um, Tony Dalton's part. I love that actor, dude. He's great. I want to see more of him. Um, um, So they're basically talking, and he walks her home. And... um. Uh, she, I think she's released in, she says, I would invite you inside, but she has to get up for work tomorrow. Uh, they bid each other farewell and, um, they, they bid each other farewell and, um, Lotto basically like, I have to get on my plane. I got to go back, get back. She's well, it was nice meeting you. Maybe we'll meet again sometimes. And, uh, the night goes by the shot. It just plays of night turning into daytime. She gets her stuff ready and leaves for work. Lalo then walks from across the street and he fucking waited all night and uh, he sneaks into her house with his nice fucking black suit. And, um, you know, fuck. I'm just going to throw this out there. What if Tony Tony Dalton could play a James Bond? Some people might hate me for that. I just love the way he looks in the fucking suit. Maybe a Mexican James Bond. That'd be cool. Back to the episode. He goes into the house. He breaks in. There's this fucking stupid puppy in there. He's won't shut the fuck up. He's like, no, 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 no. Come on. Shh, shh, shh. He's all quiet, charming to the dog. And uh, he's like, no, you can't be loud. And um, he breaks into the house, goes upstairs to do a little digging. He's trying to find evidence, trying to find something he can bring back to Hector that'll prove that Gus is building the fucking... Whatever Gus is building, trying to find it out. And he looks, and he finds... um, He finds, like, this little... I think it's a ruler, a protractor, something like that he sees. And... It's um, it's like it's made in like this this gel that that gel that they use like that fucking gun ho fucking people the gun enthusiasts use where they shoot the bullets into and it freezes the bullet the gel thing. It looks like it was a piece or something that they used to build the meth lab that was put into gel that they I guess that somebody gave as a gift to uh, Werner Ziegler's wife. Um, Ma- Margarita, Ma- Margarita, Margarita, whatever her name was. Um, so he looks at it. Margarita comes back to the house, realizes she forgot something, 
And the dog is barking. She thinks that someone's upstairs. So she walks upstairs, looks around. Lalo fucking dips. He's gone like a fucking ghost. Lalo moves like a fucking shadow. And the episode's over. I thought he was going to fucking kill her. I was like, oh, no, he's going to kill her. But it seems like Lalo is not the type of guy to kill somebody when he just needs information. At least at this point. If you give him the information, he mo- he will not kill you, it seems like. Now, back to the last I think last two seasons where he killed the uh, the clerk at that um, travel agency. He refused to give him information, so he broke in and he killed him to get the information. With her, she gave the all best information he could. He found stuff in there, didn't find a reason to kill her. No point. So, episode ends. And I want to say another really good episode. Another really good episode. Um... I want to give this one seven and a half out of 10 moves the plot forward. Um, had some teases in there of people possibly getting killed at the end with Margarita, Margarita, fucking whatever her name is. Margarita, Margarita. I want to say it the right way. How does the, how does, how does the Germans say Margarita? Is the Germans like a Margarita in Mexico? They say Margarita in the Germany. We say Margarita. I pissing off all my German fans. Um, so yeah, it was, um, a good episode moves the plot forward. And once again, congrats. Thank you so much. And hats off to Tony Dalton and all the actors and directors and writers. You guys did a great job. Really great job. So seven and a half out of 10, not filler, but also kind of filler moves the plot forward. Nothing to be disappointed with. I see, it, it, the reason why I say it gets disappointing is because, you know, you want to see more. You want to see more, and then when it ends, you're like, fuck. But this is what happens when you watch a, a show that comes out on a weekly basis. When you binge watch it, I guarantee it'll be a lot better. It, like, when I go back and binge watch this season on Netflix when it comes out, it's going to flow a lot better because everything's I'm going to be able to get to watch everything all at once and I have to wait a week. So that's the reason why I'm giving them 7 out of 10s because i got to wait a week to watch the rest of the episodes. So, anyway, on to the next episode, Better Call Saul, Season 6, Episode 6, titled, Axe and Grind. We open up with a little girl sitting inside of a principal's office, and this little girl happens to be Kim, for those of you who do not know. she, We have seen flashbacks of this, uh, I believe it was the same actress, playing Kim when she was a younger girl, I believe maybe in, I think it was, this is in Nebraska, I believe, in Omaha. Omaha? I, I believe so. Yeah, I believe believe it was in Nebraska. So, as opposed to Gene's flash forwards, we have Kim's flashbacks. So, we've noticed in the in the series that Kim has struggled with her moral compass for seemingly as long as she can remember. In this flashback, we see the young Kim. She's getting yelled at by her mother for attempting to steal jewelry from a store. But as soon as the owner is out of sight, her mother uh, laughs it off. It's all part of the plan, and she just tells her, "Oh." Hey, kiddo, relax. You got away with it. And it's really kind of bad parenting. It's just like, you know, your kid shouldn't be stealing. And if you're going to, you catch your kid stealing, you know, your kid probably shouldn't, um, your kid probably shouldn't be told, yeah, it's good that you got, didn't get caught. But, and also too, I'm, I'm, I don't know why I said principal's office. I guess it is a, a jewelry store owner. I thought it was a principal's office, but that again, that doesn't make any sense if she stole jewelry. Anyway. Uh, so she steals it and she gets pulled into the thing and her mom is pissed off at her pretending to be telling her she got away with it. 
And you're kind of like, okay, well, these are deep-rooted problems or deep-rooted bad memories that Kim has about her mother. You can see a lot of the way her mother acts in Kim, how Kim is now in the future. Or not in the future, but in the current timeline. And it's just a little, little, makes you a little empathetic towards Kim. And right away when you're starting to notice, I'm like, uh uh-oh, they're focusing on Kim right now. I'm like, what's going to happen? Well, we'll find out. So, um... Um, after her mom laughs it off, you know, it's all part of the plan and everything. And she gives her, the mom gives her the jewelry and, um, it just doesn't it still doesn't even seem like it sits right with Kim, little Kim. And even though she got away with it, but, um, yeah. So it's just like, you could, it just shows that Kim has always struggled with this morality. Like, is this right? And what should I be doing this? Or even though I did it. But now she's kind of just going full force or full fledged into the whole slipping Kimmy. Um, in the present, Kim is then surprised with Cliff Main uh, as he approaches her at the courthouse and invites her to an interview uh, for a role at the Jackson Mercer Foundation, which is right up Kim's alley. Uh, while she takes in this exciting news, she weighs in the fact that this lunch is scheduled on the same day as D-Day. D-Day is the day for their Howard plot when they're going to get Howard and they're going to try to ruin his career. Despite this, she continues to plot against Howard. With Jimmy, they visit. Um, they visit their veterinarian friend, and um, they found out that he's he's thinking about leaving all his shady business, thinking about leaving the vet life. And uh, once he can just get a fair price for his little black book of contacts, um, he uh, contacts people he you know he treats and helps on the side, voice taxes and all that sort of stuff. Um, a notion that kind of piques uh, Jimmy's interest, and um, they're trying out this drug. It's like a, it's like some sort of mystery little energy drug, and it makes your pupils really like, I believe, big, dilated. Is that the word? Dilated. And uh, but you don't get high or anything. It just, uh, it just makes your eyes look very dilated, if that's the correct word. Um. After um, and, and the guy, uh, the vet, he gives him a little um, a little uh, card, and it's um. Uh, the uh, uh ed forster um the disappearer the guy who gets people out of situations and relocates them to new plots and it's like uh-oh are they gonna show ed because i don't know how they're gonna do it unless they have some footage they could use because the actor rest in peace passed away a couple of years ago or 2018 when el camino came out he died right after the premiere or before the premiere he died so um I don't know how they're going to do this, but yeah, they tease uh, the superior. So, um, as they, um, as his eyes are all dilated, pupils and stuff like that, they continue along their little Howard revenge plot, and then they enlist the help of Jimmy's favorite crew from the local college that he helps, that helps him film all his fucking shenanigans. I love these guys, man. They're such cool reoccurring characters, even though the, like, couple, they don't look, some of them don't look like college students, like, they look older than they are, but they're supposed to be college students. It's just it's it's I love it. It's awesome. These characters are just great. It's great seeing these little side characters. Howard, meanwhile, is on his own mission. His mission is to figure out what Jimmy's up to behind closed doors. He moves through his uh, meticulous morning routine, including making a peace sign latte for his wife. And um, the woman seems to have very little interest in him. She's just very just like, yeah, she, she reminds me of Gru's mom from um, Despicable Me. He's like, look, mom, I just invented the rocket ship. Meh. Look, mom, I just invented a fucking car. Meh. She just doesn't give a fuck. 
you can tell she's just no no sex drive no no um no love no just just fucking bitchy and she's like what the fuck is she all pissed off about she's unsatisfied with howard and um she's just uh she's just just a bitch she just comes off like a bitch while howard tries to do his best to you know do things nice for her and everything fix his marriage and then we get to howard uh with his private investigator the guy he's hired to follow jimmy and he gives him some pretty boring photos of jimmy uh with one exception uh jimmy uh, Saul Goodman uh, is withdrawing an unusual large amount of cash from the bank. And Howard's like, this could work. While Howard contemplates and thinking and wondering what this means, Jimmy continues to weasel his way into HHM's dealings, pushing his um, pushing his secretary, Francesca, to call the firm and get the dial-in code for the big Sandpiper mediation coming up. Basically, uh, they're going to have a little meeting with, uh, they're going to have a meeting, they're going to try to discuss a settlement, and they're trying to get a code to be able to get into the call. <laughs> kind of like a Zoom call, like, oh, I need the call for the Zoom the Zoom call code to log in to get on with everybody else. It's not a Zoom call, it's a fucking phone call, but he needs the dial-in number. So he has Francesca do it. Francesca is like, I don't know if I should do this, is this legal? And he's like, oh, come on, do it, you got it. So Francesca at this point is still very worried of just like, putting up with Saul's shit, but she eventually gives in, because he tells her, hey, I'm paying you a lot of money, come on, just just do it, it's it's easy, so, she gets the dial-in number for the big sandpiper mediation coming up, because Jimmy wants to get his settlement, or he wants to get his part of the, because he helped them get that case, he wants to be able to get his payment as quick as possible, um, everything's all falling into place, or so it seems, until D-Day comes, and an encounter that threatens their whole operation and to fuck everything up. What happens is Jimmy and Kim are just like all happy and ecstatic. Kim was with the foundation. She's ready, ready. She's excited and stuff. And they're like, man, they're, they're just, it's, everything's going great. They're just like, this is going great. Our, our just, we just love each other so much and we're going to fuck up Howard's life. Who cares? This is going great. Jimmy goes to the store to go get that tequila bottle. The tequila bottle that him and Kim shared together when they scammed, I think his name was Ken, when he tried to get him to invest in a bunch of stuff, when they said they were brother and sister, and then we see the cork at the beginning of the season in the um, flash flash forward, flash, yeah, the flash forward scene where their uh, FBI or whoever the hell it is is raiding Saul's house and taking all the stuff out of there, and we see the little cork on the ground. I'm like, oh, is this the cork for the when that happens? No, it's not. Jimmy sees the... Um, the judge who is going to be mediating the whole mediation, um, uh, and he's got a broken arm. And Jimmy's just like, fuck, because there was a photo taken of a guy who looks like the judge, who it basically is to make it look like um, the judge is doing some wrong dealings, and they're going to end up in the hands of Howard, and it's going to fuck everything up. And um, they realize that they, like, fuck, the judge broke his arm somehow, or his arm is fucked up. And the photos are going to be, they're not going to make any sense because the judge's arm is broken. So, um, it's just like, fuck, it's going to blow our entire plan. Um, and he basically is just like, fuck, like, what the fuck are we going to do? Like, we got to get, we got to fix this shit. Meanwhile, while things are getting hectic in the States, Lalo, 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 Lalo. Tony Dalton is deep in the is deep in the German forest, still on his quest to discover what Gustavo has been building. Bad, bad accent. Um, 
it, this is crazy. This is so cool seeing just Lalo in Germany. Lalo's in Germany doing German things. Uh, he's uh, eating this, eating this, this schnitzel. Uh, but no, in reality, what he's doing is he's he's tracking down. I believe his name was what the fuck was his name? Casper was his name. One of the the guy that told uh, Mike in the previous couple seasons uh, that Werner Ziegler he was worth fifty of you, and um, he's basically cut chopping wood at his property in Germany. And Lalo drives up there, and he's all like, he's trying to be all, hey, being charming, it's me, Lalo. Doesn't say his name's Lalo, but his latest target, who happens to be Caster, uh, is chopping his wood. Lalo basically runs up and says he wants to talk, and he's like, who are you? Who, what the hell is this? Um, uh, the guy ditches, he fucking bails, like, fuck this, I'm out of here, I don't know who this guy is. Um, Lalo uh, draws a gun on him, and he chases him, and the guy runs into his barn, Lalo heads into the barn, and the barn is dark. It's light outside, but the barn is dark. There's no light in there. Just the one that's reflecting in from the window. And uh, Lalo's looking around. He's walking around, and I'm all like, oh, no. See, and this is, I'm getting chills right now. This is where I'm getting the, I'm like, oh, no, please don't kill Lalo. Please don't kill Lalo like this. This would be a terrible way just to have him die, and just like, we never know what happens to him, because what we're predicting is like, what's going to happen? Is Lalo going to die, or is he going to die somewhere that Gus doesn't even know about? And Jimmy doesn't know about, and Mike doesn't know about, so it's just like the 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 shadow of Lalo is just looming over that could attack at any time. But in reality, he's dead, and they just don't know about it. And I'm like, is he gonna die? He doesn't die, but he. I thought, okay, Casper has his axe. He brought the axe with him that he was cutting the wood, cutting uh, chopping wood with, and he swings it at Lalo's rib cage. And at first I thought, no, he didn't hit him with the fucking axe. He hit him with the butt of the axe and it fucking broke one of Lalo's ribs. And Lalo gets fucking knocked to the ground. And he goes, who are you? What do you want? And he's all like, he tells him, I'm just, I just need, I want to talk. I just need information. What you were building for uh, the chicken man or whatever. And I talked to Margarita and everything. He's like, what did you do? You better not have hurt her. No, I didn't hurt her. I didn't do anything. You left a thing. You sent her a gift and I just want to know about it. Then Lalo tries to, sh he pulls, has like a fucking razor blade behind this card to show him, uh, to show him. And when Casper looks in, he fucking slices his face with the razor blade and cuts him. And he gets the axe and gets the upper hand and he swings the axe at Casper's fucking kneecap. Oh, or his leg. And he fucks him up and he goes, ah, he falls down. And I was just like, fuck yes, Lalo got him. And I'm, Lalo gets up. Oh, I think he might have broken one of my ribs. And... Still being charismatic while he's fucking hurt and getting up, but he's got the axe in his hand. And he ain't a Salamanca if you don't got a fucking axe. And this is so... It is just, I just love this fucking show, man. It's just so reminiscent of when the um, this, uh, Salamanca twins had the axe when they tried to kill... Uh, when they were hit, waiting in Walter's house, when they had... Um, when they were going to kill Hank, and then they ended up dying. Um, spoiler. I mean, the show's been out. That show's been out, so you guys should have seen that by now. But, um... It was just really cool. It was really cool. And he basically, uh, he basically, um, uh, he tells him, Hey, he throw. I think he throws it. He throws in his belt and he tells him to wrap up your, wrap up your thing before you bleed out, wrap up your wound before you bleed out. And, um, it was just a great, just, it's just awesome. Tony, Tony Dalton is just so good. And, uh, then, uh, I believe the episode ended with, um, it ends with, uh, Kim, Realizing that they have to fix their whole plan because the judge, the guy, the judge who was supposed to mediate has a broken arm and their pictures now are going to be faulty and they have to fix the whole thing. She makes a U-turn on the freeway and the episode is over.
this episode, solid 8 out of 10. I love seeing Lalo in action. Um, 8 out of 10 because it moves, well, because um, they had me on my feet when Lalo almost, I thought he was going to die, but he didn't die. He just got hurt really bad. And um, 8 out of 10 because I, it just it keeps you like, what's going to happen next? So this was a great episode. We see a little bit of uh, Kim's past. And, um, you know, it makes me worry for Kim. I don't know what's going to happen to her. Um, and it makes me worry about all the other characters that we have don't see in Breaking Bad. But 8 out of 10, solid, good episode. And it makes me excited for this next one. Get ready. We're going to talk about the mid-season finale for Better Call Saul Season 6. Episode 7, titled Plan and Execution. All right. Tony Dalton, Lalo. Uh, we open up with uh, a drain pipe, it looks like, or uh, um, a sewer drain thing. And he, you see Lalo get out of the sewer drain. Uh, he's back in New Mexico. And, and this is this part was funny to me. Like, it's just so funny because it's like, for any casual view, you're like, what the fuck? Did this guy just pull a Mario and just hop into a drain and then he ended up in fucking New Mexico and Germany? I just thought, it, I just thought that was hilarious because I'm thinking, how did he get back into the United States let, or let alone, well, how did he get back to Albuquerque, let alone the United States? He didn't take a plane, did he? Unless he did. I don't know. Uh, but he's back in New Mexico. Um, he's returning from his time abroad. Uh, he's been spending his time underground. And this is what I like about Lalo. Lalo has no problem getting down and dirty and doing what he's got to do. You saw in his house in the last season, he has fucking tunnels. He's fucking Mexicans were over here. We dig tunnels and shit. We live in the tunnels. And, um... Uh, he's been keeping a watchful eye over Gustavo's laundromat. Um, now that he knows what it's really housing, he knows that the laundromat has a meth lab in there. And, um, he starts setting up kit little kitchen timers for naps. He goes to the, uh, he goes to, um, he goes to, uh, take showers at the rest stop and he's keeping uh video records of everything. He's recording a bunch of stuff. He goes to a gas station, gets some food. It's just, it's just funny. Cause you're just like, <laughs> this guy is a fucking, one of the big time cartel bosses. And he's just fucking, he's just so casual about everything. That's what I love about him, bro. He's such a good fucking character. He don't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck. Each of the Salamancas have their own things about them that you're just like, huh? Hector is unpredictable. He's a loud mouth. Uh, the twins are silent and they're cold-blooded, but they're smart and they're calculated. Um, and they're just driven by their uh, family and they're driven by their uh, background. Um, uh, Tuco is just a fucking crazy maniac that has no problem blowing up on people and killing whoever the fuck he does, even though it may not benefit him at that moment. And he just gets his kicks out of it. Lalo is, is like a demon. He's... He's there, but he's not there. He's he's a wolf in sheep's sheep's clothing. He um he can draw you in with his charisma and his charm, and then he can stab you in the fucking back. And he's just casual about everything. It's just like yeah, yeah, this is me. That's what I love about him. Um, so he is got cameras. He's got all this sort of stuff. He's recording. He's he's pulling the fucking Pennywise, and he's watching. Uh, the laundromat and everything, and he goes to, he records a video of himself saying that he's been, he's got some stuff, he's talking to Don Eladio on the recording, Don Eladio doesn't see it, but he's gonna give it to Don Eladio eventually, and he, uh, goes to call Hector's, um, call Hector, um, to the, um, 
the nursing home. He calls the nursing home and speaks in Spanish. Oh, sorry, we don't speak Spanish. Oh, no, I think I just want to speak to Hector Salamanca, a relative of his. Okay, give us one second. He's waiting on the phone. Then he realizes that the phone is tapped. Gus has the phone. Gus and Mike have the phone tapped anytime somebody calls that specific number and calls that specific line that Gus can hear what the fuck is going on. And he tells them the plan and he realizes, like, fuck, he's got a plan. So what the hell is he going to do? They got it all mapped out. Um, the, um, uh, on, um, on the less meticulous side of this whole thing, uh, Jimmy, who's, uh, rushes to pull his team of misfits together, this band of misfits, all these little college students that help him with these videos and help him with these commercials. Um, they realize the photos uh, for the plot against Howard, they won't work unless the judge who has a broken arm now has a broken arm in the photos. They get a guy who looks like him. They dress him up like him. They give him a fucking fake mustache, all this other stuff to make him look like the judge. And they get put a sling in his arm and they go to uh, the college campus. So they can make it seem like he's uh, taking money from Jimmy and uh, they can get the photos and give them to the uh, private investigator who actually doesn't work for Howard. He actually works for Jimmy. He's a um, he's a double crossing two timer. And um, the Kim's there and they're trying to fix the whole photos and stuff like that. Uh, it's a race against the clock because they got to get this done quickly before the whole um the uh, mediation goes down or else they're going to, that's their, their chance to fuck up Howard's whole thing. Um, they um, get the photos done. They get the photos taken. And the guy who's like playing the judge, who well, playing the judge, the guy who's disguised, who's the guy who's playing a dude disguised, uh, the guy who's playing a dude disguises a dude dresses another dude. I don't even, I think I fucked that up. What the hell is that line? Go? I got to think, I got to fix that. I'm the dude playing the dude disguises another dude. Yes, I fucking got it. That, that guy, the guy who was the dude playing the dude disguises another dude <laughs> as a ju as the fake judge. He's all like, oh, maybe that character should do this. He's fucking hilarious. Um, anyway, they get the photos taken. They fucking um, they go to get them processed. And the the guy who uh, the, the um, guy who records everything's all like, trust the process. It takes time. I can't get this done. It's just funny. He's just being a dick. And um. They're trying to get these photos taken. They're trying to do... They reminded me of the scene from Seed uh, uh, of Chucky where um, the guy's got the picture of the uh, the ma a masturbating midget. It's actually a picture of Chucky jerking off in the fucking window. But he's trying to get the, uh, get the uh, picture all, like, processed so he can actually have a laminated photo, I guess, or a fucking actual photo of whatever he took. That's what it reminded me of. But they're trying to get this stuff done. Kim gets a paintbrush and she wipes this liquid on there. I don't know what it does. Um... Uh, uh, what happened? Oh, okay. What it was is, um, it's the drug. It was the drug that, um, they got from the, uh, the veterinarian. I guess that if it makes contact with your skin and it gets into your body, it, um, or if you sniff it, I don't know if you, what you do, but it, whatever it gets into your body, it makes your pupils dilated, but it doesn't get you high. It doesn't do anything like that. It doesn't make you impaired at all. It'll just give the illusion that you're impaired to people who see your eyes. Um, so she, uh, she uh ripes over it um the jimmy fucking right away they get the photos they put him in the thing he kisses her and he runs off <laughs> fucking dips and he's running across the fucking campus to get these photos done. this is just funny watching bob odenkirk run he's great and uh he throws the uh envelope into the car when we find out that the guy who was supposed to be howard's private investigator actually works for jimmy and he throws it in his car and he speeds off the guy brings the pictures to howard Howard looks at the photos and he's all like, why is it so, what is this liquid on there? Is it liquid? Huh? And, um, um, what happens is, is, um, 
he gets uh Howard's just like, okay, this is gonna work. I got it. He's like basically ready to like, aha. Uh uh well, that doesn't really go, it works, but he looks at the guy, he's like, I don't know who that guy is, I wonder who he is. And then as the whole scene is going down, um Howard is talking to a guy that a, a new guy that works there, some agent guy that just started working there. And he's like, you know, trying to be all, he's being polite to him. He's being genuine. He's like, oh, well, good, good, good to have you on the team, this and that. And um, they're like, oh, everybody's here. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get ready for the mediation. Uh, Jimmy and Kim dial into the mediation so they can listen to it on their phone. They're waiting while all this stuff goes down. Um, uh, what will happen? Um, uh, since Kim ditched her whole little big shot at working at the justice reform organization, in favor of pulling your scheme, it shows her priorities in the scene. She's like, I mean, as much as she wants to work with the justice reform and be a good person, she's like, I want to get back at Howard even more with Jimmy, her man. So, um, they, uh, uh Howard is sitting in there with, uh, Schweikert and Coakley and, uh, the representatives for, uh, and Davis and Maine and him and how and HHM and everything and the, the representatives for a uh, Sandpiper. Um, and I believe her name, what was the lady's name? The lady, I believe she's the same lady that, uh, Jimmy in season one or season two, like made look really bad in front of all her friends, basically making it seem Mildred something like that, whatever her name was, that was gonna, um, get a bigger, made it seem like she's gonna get a bigger settlement and basically robbing everybody else out of a settlement. Um, she's there, I believe it's her and, uh, Howard makes her go into a wheelchair to make it, you know, I think it's like a, some lawyer tactic to make it, uh, I don't know, to get a bigger settlement. It's something that, that they do. He goes in there. They're waiting for everybody. They say, oh, the judge is here to mediate the whole situation. And as this thing's happening, I'm like, watch him come in without the sling. Nope. The judge comes in. He's got the sling. Howard immediately sees him. He's just like, dumbfounded. What the fuck? That's the guy from the photo. And he's getting paranoid in his mind. Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. Reminds, him, reminds me of fucking Chuck. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. And earlier, uh, like about two minutes earlier when he was with the Asian guy that was like putting the so ginger ale sodas inside of a fridge for the whole situation, there's a picture of Chuck and he talks about the picture of Chuck and this whole scene just mirrors Chuck. Chuck's paranoid with Jimmy, Chuck's demise because of Jimmy. Because of Jimmy, uh, Chuck fucking just like couldn't handle it just fucking mentally and just cracked and Howard begins to crack. As this whole thing goes down, Howard spirals out of control, recognizes the mediator, or so he thinks, because it's not him. It's actually the guy, it's the dude, the guy playing the dude, this guy is another dude, but this, in this case, it's the actual guy, but in the photos, it's the guy playing the dude, this guy is another dude, and he starts getting paranoid, he appears high because of his eyes, and his colleagues and clients, he embarrasses himself, um, he accuses the judge of kind of like foul play, like, oh, I, I know what you're really here, and he accuses him, and it's just like, he looks like a fucking fool. I'm like, this is going to ruin his fucking career. It fucks the whole thing up. It makes him look like an idiot. He's like, hang on, let me get my photos. He gets the photos so he can try to prove it. And I guess the photos were switched out or the liquid. I don't know what it did, but the photo, like the photos got like changed or something. They were the wrong photos. And it makes it seem like Howard is on. Well, they other people there don't know that Howard is not on drugs, but they never heard the thing about Howard on drugs. The only one knows about it is Clifford Maine, I believe. So this arises or raises the suspicions that Clifford Maine already has that people have told him Howard's on drugs. He's a coke addict or he's a cokehead, and uh, he gets hookers and stuff like that. And this, no, this this was switched out. This couldn't have been. It raises the suspicion even more for Cliff. Like, what the fuck is going on? And. What happens is, 
Um, they it ruins the whole mediation. The uh, Sandpiper's like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going back to our original our settlement before this. It's even lower now. It's our, our low settlement before this. We're not going up again. Final offer. Take it or leave it. And it fucks everything up. And his eyes, Mike's, uh, not Mike, um, what's his name? Uh, Howard's eyes are all fucked up. And it's just like he, ch- after the mediation's called off due to Howard's accusations and his erratic behavior, Schweikart reverts to their original offer, like I said earlier. Negating the need for any more mediation, Howard tries his best to fight it. Uh, he desperately, desperately explains himself to Cliff, um, but it's too late. The damage is done. Sandpiper's over. The payout is in motion, and Howard's reputation is in the dirt, just like Jimmy and Kim planned. And right after, right as that happens, as the whole thing is going down, um, you see uh, in the background Jimmy and Kim getting ready to fuck, and Ray Seahorn. Bro, mm, fucking fine. She's so fine. And then that scene's over. So we then go back to Lalo, Lalo Shalamanka. We go back to Lalo. Um, uh, after um, uh, after falling for uh, Lalo's little decoration of a surprise for Gustavo uh, to Hector over the phone, um, Mike he gets a bunch of people together and moves them to get all their um to get uh to get their uh to get Gus somewhere safe just in time for him to finish presenting a big old check uh to this children's organization he basically lets Gustavo know like yo like we got to get you out of here like Lalo's gonna strike he, we heard him we heard the tap phones Mike seems like he's prepared for anything uh but even he doesn't even see what's coming for Jimmy and Kim that same night so we move on Jimmy and Kim are celebrating their uh, Howard Hamlin victory with some drinks and a couch cuddle when there's a knock on the door. And they're less than surprised when Howard himself comes in toting a bottle of his and Chuck's favorite scotch. He congratulates them on their big win, Jimmy and Kim, berating them for their soullessness and trying to figure out why they did it, why they went through the lengths to did it. He basically goes up to Jimmy, Jimmy, I know this is a few, but Kim, how could you do something like this? Like, And he's, he's obviously tipsy. He's a little drunk and his hair is a mess. And it's just like, and, and you know, this is the thing. We, I have grown to go, grown to, I have grown to be sympathetic towards Howard because when you find out his wife's wife, the whole marriage is falling apart. Uh, he's living in the guest house, as he says in the scene. And Howard's not a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. He's just kind of like a pretentious a hole, but that's just how he is. And he basically says, "Well, you guys, you guys were jealous that." Daddy paid for my money, or Daddy paid for all this. Daddy paid, or my dad got me for this, and my dad got me that, and you guys are jealous of it. And he's berating them for their soullessness, and like he said, he's trying to figure out what they did. And as he continues to monologue about his debt, his depression, and his broken marriage, Howard resolves to dedicate himself to exposing them for who they really are. And he's basically like, "I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep on keep trying to expose you guys for who you really are. I'm trying to, I'm until the end of time. He's basically like, I'm just going to, I'm going to." I'm going to find a way to get you guys. That is, and right before Howard walks in, I want to point this out. There is a candle and the candle flickers. And there's like a thing in Hispanic culture. If a candle flickers, that means there's a, a spirit by an espiritu, or either something bad's going to happen. It's like a, um, a foreshadowing or it's some, it's symbolizes something bad's going to happen. So the candle flickers once and then Howard shows up. The candle then, after Howard is going off about his depression and he's going to get them back, the candle flickers again, 
Howard and Jimmy and Kim didn't close the door. And as that happens, we hear some we hear footsteps and it's like what's going on? All of a sudden, Lalo with this unsettling ease and this demonic presence shows up like a like I said like a sh- I'm getting chills, like a shadow, like a fucking demon. And as the candle flickers, Lalo shows up. Jimmy and Kim, you just see their face, their gas, and Jimmy just goes, how? And you see Lalo just casually with his hands in his pockets. Reminds me of my grandpa just fucking walks by with his hands in his pockets. And he's next to Howard. And they're like, Howard, no, like, get away from him. Like, Howard, you don't go. You need to go. And um, after Lalo walks in, uh, he, uh, they're like, he, Howard's like, who are you? He goes, oh, I'm just looking for my lawyers and he informs Howard that he's just there to talk to them and um what happens next is oof. he is like uh, Howard's like dumbfounded uh I, I don't know what's going on here he's like, I just want to talk and um they're trying to get Howard to leave Howard's not leaving he's like dumbfounded Lalo then pulls out his gun pulls out the suppressor the attachment and proceeds to put it on Howard goes, I believe I might have found myself in the middle of something, and boom, he fucking shoots Howard in the head. Howard's head hits the table after he fucking shoots him in the side of the head, and he hits the ground dead. Howard fucking was killed. Lalo kills Howard, and Jimmy and Kim gasp in shock. Oh my god, Howard! Oh my... And it's just like, it caught me off guard, bro. I was like, what the fuck? And... Oh, my God. What a fucking... Wow. What a way to just surprise the fans. Now, I knew something was going to happen to Howard. I didn't know it was going to result in him dying. I had Maybe he might die. I was like, maybe he might die, but maybe not. Maybe he's just going to fucking, you know, have a sad life. Or kill... I thought he was going to kill him. I thought... If, if I thought he was going to die anyway, I thought he was going to kill himself. I thought what I thought he was. Going to kill himself. I thought that... Uh, I thought that maybe, like, he was going to kill himself, maybe, like, how Nacho killed himself, going on his own terms. I thought this whole thing was going to be about going on, this whole season kind of be about going on your own terms, and Howard's going to kill himself because of his depression. And then maybe Kim accidentally kills herself. I don't know. I don't know. But Howard gets shot. Lalo says he just wants to talk. And the episode closes. What, what, what a great season so far. Howard dying. Patrick Fabian, hats off to you, my man. Hats off to Patrick fucking Fabian. Last seven years, we've grown to uh, grow with these characters, and it sucks. He didn't... Howard wasn't even in the game, bro. He wasn't even involved with any of this shit. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Plan and execution. The plan happened. There was an execution. The plan was also executed. Double entendre means more than one thing. It was a... it was sad. It was like, fuck. And man, the internet right now is still just like so upset over Howard's death. Nacho and Howard both died. And it's like, fuck, man. Now what's going to happen with Kim? What's going to happen with Lalo? Those are the two characters left. What's going to happen with them? It was a great episode. 10 out of 10. A 10 out of 10 for that ending. That was so... And here's the thing. You don't see a lot of bloodshed. A lot of blood in killing, like in Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad was a lot more violent. Better Call Saul has its violence, but it gives it to you when you least expect it. 
or when it gives it to you, they give it to you, and it's well-deserved. And this came out of left field. Him shooting Howard with no remorse, it just cold-blooded fucking kills him. And the way how and Howard hitting his head after he gets shot and he in the head and falls and his head hits the coffee table, it's just like fuck, bro. Like it's ugh, unsettling. And then the episode ends and it's just like wow. But ten out of ten, the show has been amazing. A great mid-season finale. We're not done yet. The show's coming back July 11th, and I'll be sure to cover it when it comes out then. But guys, that's gonna be it. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this pretty long review it's kind of crazy because this is almost as long as my this is a little bit longer than my doctor strange review but it's i did multiple episodes in this one because i wanted to get it done so hopefully you guys listen to this in length um i want to thank decider.com for giving me the um for giving me the uh, uh basically helping me jog my memory with some of these notes i didn't copy everything exactly i didn't read everything exactly how they put it if i saw some stuff in here i said it in my own way and uh i brought up other stuff that had nothing that wasn't even in the articles if i needed to and, um, yeah, so thank you, Decider.com. Um, I'm better now, so hopefully I can start taking uh, notes without any problems. Um, and if not, um, I'll let you guys know, and we'll do something similar like I did here. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys en- are enjoying this series. If you are watching it, if you haven't, you got, what, you got like a month and a half before uh, before uh, the, we get the rest of the episodes. So I'm waiting for July 11th. And wow, it's gonna be it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good one. So it's gonna be a good it's this is such a good season, and I can't wait for the rest of it. So thank you to all the actors. Thank you, Patrick Fabian, R.I.P. Howard. Thank you, uh, Tony Dalton, Lalo. Thank you, um, Bob Bodenkirk, Ray Seahorn, Jonathan Banks, uh, Giancarlo Esposito. All these guys. Uh, oh, Michael Mando. We can't forget him. Mark Magolis, Fucking. Um, uh, uh, Hector, uh, the Moncada brothers, the Moncada twins. Thank you, guys. Uh, the twins. Um, Peter Goldvitz Gillian. Thank you so much. This is this has been an, this has been a great ride so far, and I can't wait to see the conclusion. And you know, I think we're going to be thoroughly pleased. So, anyway, this episode was a ten out of ten. Go watch these episodes. Like I said, find a website, find somewhere you can watch them. Do something. But you got to watch these episodes and let me know what you think. Hope you guys enjoyed this review. This has been the No Limit Lab. Thank you, guys, and have a good night. But wait, don't go anywhere. This is your teaser for the next episode of the No Limit Lab. In the next episode of the No Limit Lab, I'm going to be discussing, reviewing, and recapping Kenobi, the show on Disney Plus that will be premiering tonight. Guys, I'm excited for this. I hope you guys are too. I get to see Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen reprise two of my favorite characters in all of any media ever. Star Wars. Now, guys, I'm excited for this. Episodes 1 and 2, I believe, will be premiering tonight. So get ready for next week's episode of the No Limit Lab, where I review Kenobi. And Disney, don't fuck it up.